Well, good evening. How is everybody? Excellent, lovely, amazing. It's getting cold. It's good. We had a little bit of snow on Sunday. That was excellent. Need a little bit more before Christmas. I know, I'm trying to be quiet. All right, let's stand. We're going to sing God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Just a few short verses. God is so good. Here we go. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Let's sing, He died for me. He died for me. You go ahead and be seated. Next song we're going to sing is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Pardon for sin, pardon for sin, and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with
Aren't you thankful for the faithfulness of the Lord? Amazing God we serve. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll go ahead and start this evening with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be here tonight. Pray that this will be a help to each and every one of us. And Father, that we would just look at you and see how amazing you are and how faithful you are and the awesome God that you are. And Father, I just pray that you would continue to help our sights to be set on you. Help us to focus on who you are. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start by asking this question. What is the theme of Romans chapter 8? Trying to drill this into you just in case you haven't figured this out. Okay, what is the theme of Romans chapter 8? Somebody who doesn't normally answer. Okay, so that is Mrs. Kember cannot answer and Ab Birch can't answer. And Mr. Holmes. Somebody's got to jump in. Spirit, what is the theme of Romans chapter 8? Change, good. Grace is good too. All these things are wonderful. And they all just are a part of it. Living victoriously. Okay, living the supernatural victorious Christian life. Okay, everybody say that with me. Here we go, ready? Living the supernatural victorious Christian life. Okay, this is what Romans chapter 8 is all about. Every bit of it is about that. So I just want to walk through and do a, just a little bit of a review of Romans chapter 8, and hopefully you'll see why I'm doing this review in just a second. We started in Romans chapter 8 in verse 1. You can read that there with me if you would. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, watch this, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay, so this is important, okay? So we want to, first of all, just a reiteration that this is a work of the Spirit, okay? So we're living a supernatural, victorious Christian life through the work of the Spirit. Look at verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Once again, it is a spiritual work, not a fleshly work, okay? This is important. This is not of the flesh. It is only of the Spirit. Jump down to verse 14. The Bible says this, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, notice what they are, they are the sons of God. Okay, so we're led by the Spirit of God, we are not in our flesh, and those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Okay, so we are all the children of God. We who are saved are the children of God. We who walk in the Spirit are the children of God. Important, Romans 8 and verse 26 the Bible says this, likewise, the Spirit, look what he does, he also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, okay? So the Spirit is doing the work, and he helps us where our flesh falls short, where we are infirm, where we cannot do it, the Spirit helps us all the way through it. And then in verse 28, we read this, last week, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Again, this is spiritual, not fleshly. Not everything works out for our fleshly good, it works out for our spiritual good. And now as we kind of get into 
verse 28, 29, 30, and on down through the rest of the chapter. This is really where we see the victorious Christian life kind of personified. This is where we begin to see those famous words where we are more than conquerors, those famous words of what can separate us from the love of Christ. And I'm just going to be honest with you, this is one of the most encouraging, God-focused, flesh-denying, powerful passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 8. I love it. This passage, if you will notice it, 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 first of all, it functions as a promise. Okay, from 28 on down through, you can just kind of see the promises of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We are more than conquerors. Again, it just feels like a promise because most of us aren't necessarily sitting in those areas of life, are we? We don't really feel like we're more than conquerors. We feel like that's a promise that someday maybe we'll get there. Okay, but I want you to understand this. This is a present promise. This is here, right now. You can live this way right now. You can live the supernatural, victorious Christian life right now. You can do that. I want you to also think about what can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing. God loves us right now. Present promise. But I want you to see, as we begin here today, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, I want you to kind of see the generalization of this promise. The Bible says this, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, watch this, to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, so this is important. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice this, God's goal, God's promise to you is to help you be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he wants. He wants every one of us to look like Jesus Christ. He wants to mold us. He wants to shape us. He wants us to be in that image. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is what God wants you to do. He wants you, Christ, to be seen in you. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He said in another place, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So listen, we are a direct reflection, or we ought to be a direct reflection of Jesus Christ. That's God's goal. He predestined us, He foreknew us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's His whole goal. That's His whole promise. But I also want you to see that He wants us to be justified and also glorified. Look at verse 30. Moreover, on top of that, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, notice, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And so he wants to justify you, make you just like as if you never sinned, and then he wants to glorify you into a perfect, awesome, completely spotless person. Isn't that amazing to think about? This is what God's promise is. This is what God wants to do in your life. This is His goal. This is His purpose in life. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these two verses, 29 and 30, with the words of foreknowledge and predestination and the called. Not right now, anyway. No, many of you probably want me to, but we're going to swing back to these verses when we go through chapters 9 through 11. They're very, very relevant for those two. 
However, in the context of Romans chapter 8, these two verses are extremely important. Why? Because they give us a direction. They give us a direction that our Lord, as our good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the direction He's moving. And what we, as sheep, should be heading in a direction as well. If the Lord is our shepherd and this is what He wants, He wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son, then we as sheep ought to be doing what? Following our shepherd. Allowing Him to conform us into His image. Allowing Him to bring in trials. Allowing Him to bring in tribulations. Allowing Him to bring all these things that will conform us into the image of His Son. We've kind of had a quick look, and I tried to make it as quick as possible, at the promise of God, the, the present promise. But tonight, I don't really want to focus on the promise so much as I want to focus on this, the preeminence of God. The preeminence of God. And it's shown to us in this passage. Notice I said the preeminence of God. When we think about the, the supernatural, victorious Christian life, again, what I normally think of is how awesome of a Christian I'm going to be. Wrong way to think of it, right? And maybe that's only me. But I just think, oh man, I can't wait to be this awesome, powerful, amazing Christian. They're going to write books about me. They're going to have all these things. Why? Because I am more than a conqueror and I'm actually living it. That's the wrong perspective. Notice I said the preeminence of God in this passage. We think about this as a preeminence of, of man in this passage, but this is all about the preeminence of God. If we are to live the supernatural, victorious Christian life, the only way to even remotely come close to that is because of the preeminence of God. So let's take a look at it. Paul begins to ask us some questions here in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I love it. Notice in this verse the preeminence of God. What shall we say to these things? What things? Again, if you see this, we have to ask ourselves what things. So that's why we did a review of Romans chapter 8. The Spirit working in us, not our flesh. We are the children of God. The Spirit helps our infirmities. There is all things work together for good. All of those things lining up. What shall we say to these things? This is the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the exciting part of all of this. This is bringing everything, boiling it down to one simple word. One simple phrase is this. If God be for us, who can be against us? Isn't that not exciting to us? And again, we think about this as maybe futuristically. Oh yeah, God's going to uh, conquer everything. And I mean, the battle of Armageddon's coming. And all of those things, a rapture, and all this stuff's coming. Woohoo! No, this is right now. If God be for us, who can be against us? This is present. You ever wonder how Paul can say this? Again, contextually, it seems fairly easy to say. And obviously, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write these things. So outside of the context and outside of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are all kinds of verses that have already proven that God will go to war for His people and completely decimate the enemy. 
Let's look at a few of them. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 8, If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. It doesn't say anything about necessarily doing anything for it. They just say, God will give it us. He's going to give it to us. This is God's doing. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 12. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day that the, how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me. Notice this. Then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. I can only do this if the Lord is with me. Judges chapter 7 and verse 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned it into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. The Lord has done it. You'll jump down to Judges chapter 11 and verse 24. Wilt not thou possess that which Chemoth uh, thy God giveth thee to possess? So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. God's going to do the work. We'll continue. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 47. David and Goliath and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Psalm chapter 118 and verse 6, the Bible says this, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man 